There are times when it seems as if things are spinning out of control, or perhaps that the godless and wicked are gaining control. But that is not the case, because God is the King, and He is very much in control. Coming up, powerful encouragement during distressing times, next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Well, last time on this podcast, I shared the first half of a message that I preached back in 2016, just days before the U.S. presidential election called In God We Trust. And uh, yes, while this message has a similar title to a message that I preached just a few weeks ago called In God We Trust 2020, and we shared that message recently here on the Daily in Christ podcast. These two messages, the 2016 message and the 2020 message, have enough different material, different scriptures, and I thought it would be very important for us to continue on this track. And I'm doing this to focus our attention back onto the Lord so that we don't trust in man, but trust in God. He is the one who will save us. But first, before we bring you the second half of this message, I wanted to go over briefly what we presented in the last episode. First, the great importance of trusting God and not trusting in man. A second key point, the United States itself has a biblical foundation, and that's seen in our national motto, which is, In God We Trust. You know, I just scratch my head when I hear the secular world say, Oh, no, we don't have a, you know, there's not a Christian foundation, a biblical foundation to America. And I want to say, Really? Why don't you look at your currency? Why don't you look at the monuments down in Washington? Why don't you read the writings of at least some of the founding fathers? As a matter of fact, Francis Scott Key was the very first person of record to suggest a national motto, In God We Trust. And he did that in the song that he penned, The Star-Spangled Banner, the U.S. National Anthem. And here is what he wrote in the fourth stanza. And sadly, this stanza has either been forgotten or censored out. And I quote Francis Scott Key in the Star Spangled Banner. He wrote, Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God we trust. That's the fourth stanza of the U.S. National Anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. We talked about the fact that the structure of the United States government is three branches. 
the executive, which is the president and his or her administration, the legislative, which is the lawmaking or law-giving branch, and then there's the judicial. That's the branch that adjudicates the laws passed by Congress. And this is based upon a verse in the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, which reads thus, The Lord is our judge. There's the judicial branch. The Lord is our lawgiver, that's the legislative. The Lord is our king, that's the executive branch. He will save us. And note that last part. God is the one who will save us. Not the president, not our favorite candidate for presidency, not the Congress, not the courts. No one else besides the Lord will save us. And then we ended last week on Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, which speaks of the blessedness of those who trust in God and the cursedness of those who trust in man. And now we bring you part two of In God We Trust. Another theme that I want to draw out tonight is the fact that God is sovereign and rules over all. And let me give a definition of what we mean by sovereign. Sovereign means a person who rules, who's a ruler. God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the president of presidents and the prime minister of prime ministers. He's the number one boss over you and over everything because he's God he owes you nothing you owe him everything That's right. the very fact that you have breath to draw is because God gave it to you he created you even for the person who's the crazy atheist God has a claim on their life he is sovereign he rules over all in Revelation 4.11, there's so many pictures at the end of the age of God reigning in power. And that's the way it is in heaven. Listen to what it says in Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. That says it. He is sovereign. And He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power because He created you. He created me. He created all things. And not only that, but it is by His will that we exist and are created. Turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 in the Old Testament, and I have always been struck by this particular account. Just a little bit of history. You know, back in ancient times, it seemed like there was one emperor and kingdom that ruled the whole world. And then he was conquered by somebody else who became another emperor and ruled the world. Well, 
At the time of what's called the captivity, several hundred years before the birth of Christ, there was a ruler named Nebuchadnezzar. I'm sure you've heard the name. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. He was an emperor. He ruled the world. If anybody crossed his path, he crushed them. And one day, he was, he was somewhere, and he received a warning from God that said, you need to humble yourself, but you won't. And something is going to happen to you where you will lose your mind for seven years. And so he got the word of the Lord and threw it back in the heap of life. Nothing happened. Days went by, weeks and months. And finally, after a year, he was strutting on his high palace that overlooked, you know, Babylon. And thinking, what an awesome guy I am. Look at this. Everywhere around the world, they come to me as the great wise ruler. In fact, they regarded him so highly, they said he was like God. He was God. And right as he was thinking that very thought, God struck him and his mind became unhinged. And he went insane. You know, it says that God holds the universe together. Do you know he holds your sanity together? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But this man lost his mind. You know, I think it is insanity when we don't recognize the lordship of God. It is insanity. We may not look as crazy as this guy did for seven years. He was down in the ground, and he said that, Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 33. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. We're seeing insanity in our society today. And it says over in Romans chapter 1 that because people have not recognized God as God and weren't thankful, they exchanged the glory of God for created things. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. They become unhinged. And this is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine this? You know, we're pretty impressed by the president, but the president is nothing compared to this, this cat. He was the king of the world. And when he went crazy, people talked. Did you hear what happened? Did you see him? He's crawling on the ground like an animal. For seven years, he was like this. And look what it says in verse 34. Look at this. If you've got your Bible, you've got to read this. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 34. You've got to look at this. This is powerful. And at the end of the time, the seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now I love this. This is written in the first person. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. He says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Do you know what that means, to lift your eyes up? He was recognizing the superiority of a greater emperor, 
of a greater king, of one to whom he should bow his knee. And he said, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. Could it be that as a nation, as individuals, if we will raise up our eyes, if we will extol and honor him, that sanity will return. And my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. You know, even this emperor Nebuchadnezzar understood that he wouldn't be king forever. He was man and he would eventually die. Not God. God's reign and rule, his dominion, lasts forever. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking here. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody can stop. God is so powerful that he could, with a word, tell the entire creation, go away, and it would vanish. And in another word, say return, and it's back. This is our God. This is how powerful he is. And then look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Nebuchadnezzar knew a thing or two about that. Those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. I want to say something. Sometimes we see something in our lives or in the world and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. God, it looks like everything's unhinged and dark. It's precisely at that moment that we must hold to words like this and say, Lord, you regardless are king. You rule over all. You rule over me. And everything happens by your pleasure, not man's pleasures. Not by my pleasure, your pleasure and your will. And then these great words spoken of the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every single person listening to me tonight, 10 years from now, you will be alive. 100 years from now, you will be alive. 1,000 years, because you were created a spirit, an immortal spirit that will continue on forever. A million years from now, you will be alive. A billion trillion years, you will be alive. And every knee will bow. 
And some of those people that bow the knee will say, worship him as Lord and Savior. And some regrettably will bow the knee and worship him as Lord and judge. This is reality. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth shall say, bow the knee and say that he is Lord of lords. And then in the Revelation at the end of the book, it's the fulfillment of all the ages. It says this, uh, Revelation eleven fifteen: the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You know, all this stuff that's going on in this earth is all a big setup for God. Every kingdom is going to become his kingdom. That's what the Bible says. And then in Revelation 19, it says that he will come riding on a white horse with this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 15, 4, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. You see, he's King, he's Lord. God is not watching CNN and going, oh, no, I didn't think about that. Oh, those emails. <laughs> what did they do? <laughs> no. no, he's Lord. He's king. He's in charge. <laughs> Someone once said, I don't understand people who don't believe in the sovereignty of God. How can they sleep at night? You know, the thing that gets me rest and calming down is to say, God, you're in control. You are in control. And whenever in my life I feel agitated and frustrated, and I have to say there's been a lot of stuff in this election season that's done that, and I've had to turn the TV off, and I've had to get into the Word of God and say, you are Lord, you are God, you are in control. This is working out because you are king. I want to talk a moment, just a bit, about the blessedness of trusting God. And uh, Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9 says this, it is better to trust in the Lord uh, than to put confidence in man. We started with this, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. I hope you might have put a finger in Jeremiah 17. I said we'd come back. The first two verses, 5 and 6, talk about you're cursed. If you, you know, a person's cursed if they trust man. But there's a blessing for those who trust in God. Verses 7 and 8 says this, Blessed is the man, blessed, who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Now that's the exact opposite of that shrub in the middle of the desert, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought. Even in a time of need and want, our trust in the Lord sustains us through. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. It reminds me of what it says over in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In God we trust. 
begins with, in God, I trust. It must be personal. And you alluded to this uh, today, uh, Chad, in what you were sharing. You know, you, we have to reach out to the Lord ourselves. Yes. Now, we don't do it alone. We do it in the context of Christian community to get help and support and encourage each other. But it's important to personally trust in the Lord. One of the big problems in America is we just want to blame somebody else for our problems mm-hmm. instead of saying, hey, you know what? It starts right here. And it starts with trusting God. I must put my full trust and my full hope and my full obedience in God. What does it mean to trust? Trust means you know something of the integrity of the person. And you say, I can trust that person. When I was born again, and not everybody can remember a particular date and time, and that's all right. I can. For... an expression of that, what God was doing in my heart and my life was I took a check. I was a college kid. I didn't have much money. But I wrote in the two, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the line below, I wrote, I give you everything. Always. He is Lord. Put your full 100% trust in God. He is worthy of that trust. He is worthy of a life of trust and obedience. The just shall live by faith. That's what the Bible says. The just shall live by faith. And then in God we trust flows out into God we trust. Together as a church family, encouraging those around us, even the lost. A lot of people right now are seeking answers. That's why I'll take out the dollar bill and go, ah, you've got the answer in your pocket. In God we trust. It opens up a conversation. It gets them thinking in a way they may not be thinking about. You know, after Tuesday, half of America is going to be really upset. Oh, I can't believe they won. I'm leaving the country. It's terrible. Some of us are already upset. That's right. And it might be. Yes, that's right. It, it, it might be that, uh, you know, you'll be one of those people. I don't know. But you know what? In God, we trust. In God, we trust. Encourage each other. God is faithful. He is strong. He is the king. And, you know, in God, we trust. It isn't the first time in our history Listen to what in God we trust has really meant throughout American history. In 1776, with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, we find five times references to trusting God. Would you believe it? They are God as supreme. These are actually, this is actually written in the Declaration of Independence. God as supreme lawmaker. God as creator of all men who has endowed us with inalienable rights. God is the source of all of our rights. God as the world's supreme judge. And God is our protector on whom we rely. The Declaration of Independence declares that each of us was created by our Creator. And actually, it's a declaration of dependence 
upon God. In God, we trust. In uh, 1777, George Washington, not too far from here, in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, it was snowy. They were facing the, the British troops. You know that? We should have never won that Revolutionary War. Come on, a ragtag group of guys facing the strongest army in the world? But they turned to God. They trusted Him. And George Washington, our nation's first president, the general of the, of the army, knelt in the snow of Valley Forge and cried out to God, in God we trust. In 1770, that was in 1777, in 1789, on the same day that Congress finished drafting the First Amendment, it requested the President Washington to declare a national day of prayer and thanksgiving, resulting in the first federal official thanksgiving proclamation that declared it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and His favor. Yes, Congress so ruled back then. In 1800, Congress approved the use of the just completed Capitol building as a church building. And by law, thank God, they said divine services can be held here every Sunday in the hall of the house. 32 uh, alternately administered by the house and Senate chaplains. That's why there's a there are, you know, there are chaplains in, in the House and the Senate to this very day, beginning their sessions with prayer. I wonder where that came from. Now, by 1867, the church at the Capitol was the largest church in Washington, D.C., with up to 2,000 persons per week attending Sunday services in the Hall of Congress. You know... Then it went for many years, not being used that way, till 10 years ago. And I just found out the other day, they are meeting again. Do you know, folks, CNN, ABC, and even Fox News won't tell you this. There are more Congress people that are attending Bible studies and prayer meetings at the Capitol today. Yes, in God we trust. In 1864, by law, Congress added, in God we trust, to American coinage. In God we trust. In 1870, the federal government made Christmas a federal holiday. Congress did that. They put it on the calendar and said, this day called Christmas, not happy holidays, is a official holiday. It was a recognition of the birth of Christ, an event described by none other than the United States Supreme Court as acknowledged in the Western world for 20 centuries and in this country by the people, the executive branch, Congress, and the courts for two centuries and Thanksgiving, Christmas and Thanksgiving as official holidays, just as much as there is a 4th of July. And I don't know what these schools are thinking when they have a winter holiday or whatever they call that. No, it is a national holiday by law and you can't change it. I hope not anyway. And it, so 
In God we trust. In 1931, Congress by law adopted the Star-Spangled Banner as the official national anthem with its phrases such as, May the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. And this be our motto, In God we trust. And indeed, in God we trust. In 1954, a special congressional prayer room was added to the Capitol building. Did you know there is actually a prayer room in the Capitol building. There is. It has a kneeling bench, an altar, an open Bible, an inspiring stained glass window with George Washington kneeling in prayer. The declaration of Psalm 61, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And the phrase, This nation under God displayed above the kneeling, prayerful Washington. In God we trust. And I mentioned this before, in 1956, Congress by law made, In God we trust, our national motto, and added the phrase to American currency, In God we trust. Did you know that the constitutions of each and every one of our 50 states either in the preamble or the body, explicitly recognize or express gratitude to God. In God we trust. President Andrew Jackson declared that the Bible is the rock on which our republic stands. And President Abraham Lincoln declared that the Bible is the best gift God has given to men, but for it we could not know right from wrong. In God we trust. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt not only led the nation in a six-minute prayer during D-Day, while our troops were going in facing gunfire and death, he called the nation to prayer for six minutes. The President of the United States led us in prayer. And he declared, if we will not prepare to give all that we have and all that we are to preserve Christian civilization in our land, we shall go to destruction. This is not a Republican issue. This is not a Democratic issue. It's been that way throughout our history. President Harry S. Truman declared that the fundamental basis of this national law was given to Moses on the Mount. In other words, the fundamental basis of our law is based on the Ten Commandments. The fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings which we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. So said President Harry S. Truman, President Ronald Reagan, after noting, quote, the Congress of the United States in recognition of the unique contribution of the Bible in shaping the history and character of this nation and so many of its citizens has requested the president to designate the year 1983 as the year of the Bible. Officially declared it, and so he did, as the year of the Bible. And did you know, every other president has similarly recognized the role of God and religious faith in public, public life in America. What has made America great? In God we trust. What will make America great again? Not a politician, not an election, not a president, not a revolution, not a contract with America, not a contract with the American voter. There's only one answer. In God we trust. God is our hope. 
The gospel is our message and our mission. When people put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, only then are they born again and made citizens of heaven. Only then will America be great again. In God we trust. This is what made America great. Today, we must repent from trusting man and return to in God we trust. And that will make America great again. You have been listening to the second half of a message that I preached at my home church just days before the 2016 U.S. presidential election called In God We Trust. You know, when we think about the great biblical reality that God is sovereign and rules over all, this gives us great encouragement and great hope. I mean, think about it. If God was not ultimately in charge then Satan's will and Satan's prerogative would prevail. But that's not true. God is God. No one else is God. And he is sovereign and rules over all. We read the back of the Bible and we see that God wins and those in his kingdom win with him. You know, there will come a time, the Bible says, when as we shared from Philippians chapter 2, 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friend, the scriptures declare that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know, dear friend, that the Christian will bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord? Do you know that the Buddhist will bow their knee and confess Jesus as Lord? Do you know that the Muslim will bow the knee to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you know that even the atheist will bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father? Now look, friend, Some will bow that knee of theirs and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I want to say that I'm one of those by the grace of God. But then there will be some who will bow their knee and confess Jesus as Lord and Judge. This reality is unavoidable. Dear friend, a thousand years from now you will be alive. 10,000 years you will be alive, a 100,000 years from now, a million years, a billion years, trillions of trillions of years, you will be alive somewhere. You have an eternal soul. Will you be in heaven or hell? This reality is unavoidable. The Bible speaks of a soon coming day of judgment. And God has provided the only way of escaping that judgment. 
You see, God doesn't sweep our sins and our rebellion and our high treason against him under the carpet. No. Justice has to be served. And either you pay that justice with your own so-called self-righteousness, or you in humility acknowledge the righteousness which is from God, which is a gift by faith, the righteousness because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way of escaping that judgment is judgment fulfilled and satisfied through God's own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know who it is who condemns? Most Christians get this question wrong. They think Satan is the one who condemns. Oh, no, he doesn't. Remember, only a judge can condemn someone who has been adjudicated guilty. You have a court of law, you have a judicial process, and it's determined that the defendant is guilty as charged. And it's not the jury who condemns that defendant. It is not the jury who sentenced that defendant, neither the prosecuting attorney or the defense attorney. It is only the judge who delivers the sentence of judgment. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one, as it says in John 5, 22, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That judgment will happen at the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ as judge. The Bible says in Romans 8.34, Who is he who condemns? And it answers the question. It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now note several key points in that one verse. First, the Lord Jesus Christ is the rightful judge of all. Number two, he is the only one as judge who has legal right to condemn. Not Satan. Not your boss, not your mama, nor your papa. Only the Lord Jesus Christ has the legal right as judge of all to condemn you. And look what it says in Romans 8.34 again. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Wait a minute. Why did he die? Dear friend, he died for you. He died for me. He took upon himself the punishment and the justice because of my sin and my rebellion and my high treason against God. That is a fact. And he was innocent. Yet he was adjudged guilty. And the Bible says, that my guilt was laid upon him in Isaiah chapter 53. He is the one who died for me. He died for you, friend. And not only that, it says in Romans 8, 34, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So Jesus 
conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered the penalty against sin. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. And he rose. He conquered it all. And now the Lord Jesus Christ is seated, which means the work is finished, at the right hand of God the Father. That is the position, the favored position, the position of the good son. And it says that in that place, he makes intercession for us. That intercession means he is standing in righteously on your behalf. It's not because God the Father needs to be convinced of anything. No, no, this is his plan. God, like I said, doesn't sweep sin under the carpet. No, he deals with it. Because sin has eternal consequences. The question is this. Are you going to go when you die before holy, righteous God who sees all and sees right through you? Will you dare come before his presence with your own filthy righteousness? You know that's what it says in the prophet Isaiah chapter 59. Our sins are like filthy rags. Our righteousness is like filthy rags in his sight. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says, all of that stuff that I did, and he was a very righteous, self-righteous man, is like dung before a holy God. Would you dare go before God and say I was good enough? Do you know that's an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ? That is a rejection of the only hope that you have, and you deserve your destiny of hell. But it doesn't need to be that way. You say, well then, how do I get a good standing with God? How do I get a righteous standing before God? Dear friend, what Jesus did for you is the Father's gift. The Bible says these powerful words. In Romans, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth, The Lord Jesus. Now, remember what we read just a little while ago in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I pointed out that some will confess him, as it says right here in Romans 10, 9, as Lord and Savior. Some will stand on their own goodness and self-righteousness, and they will end up confessing him as Lord and judge. But you can be saved, dear friend, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, Lord, you are king. You are the one who is the rightful ruler over all and over me. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen to verse 10. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You know, there needs to be more than just simple belief. There needs to be the act of faith. I'm sitting in a chair right now. I sat in this chair because I believed that this chair would hold me up. And so there was a point where I had to exercise chair faith, where I had to shift the weight from my feet on the floor, sit down on this chair. That's, what, that's a good picture of faith. 
You know, I could say, well, I believe that chair could hold me up, but if I don't actually sit in the chair, I am not exercising faith. It's the same thing. You could say, well, I believe that Jesus died. I think he died for my sins and rose again, but you don't claim it for yourself, what Jesus did. And it sounds like this, Lord, you did this for me. Thank you. You died for me to cleanse me from all my sin and all my unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. And I receive the gift of salvation. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. As a matter of fact, friend, if that is your desire right now, right where you are, you can, like a child, receive him, receive this gift of salvation. And if you mean it, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Just repeat after me from your heart. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that you so loved me that you gave your own son for me who gave up his life that I would have eternal life and I wouldn't perish. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died on the cross for me, that he took upon himself the full weight of the punishment for my wrong and my sin. I believe that he did that for me, and I receive your gift of salvation right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Father God, right now, in Jesus' name, I confess that with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that, God, you raised him from the dead. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friend, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to go to our website, dailyinchrist.com. Dailyinchrist.org. When you get there, up in the menu bar, there is a option that says contact. You can just click that. There's a form you can fill out. I want to hear from you, and I want to help you in your new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, this is so wonderful. God is so good. We must trust in him. And my dear friend, if this ministry and this podcast has been a blessing to you please tell it to others let them know that they can get the daily in christ podcast it's available on most major podcasting platforms and there's information at our website along with a lot of other free resources at dailyinchrist.org dailyinchrist.org dear friend i want you to pray for our world If you're in America, as I'm recording this, it still is a contentious election situation. Pray for God's will to triumph and be done. And pray for the advance of the kingdom of God. Thank you for doing that. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get together with other believers. Grow in the Lord. Read the Bible, believing every single day. My name is Mark Van Oos, and as always, remember what it says in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in him.